In 2016, scientists on Earth detected a fast radio burst from a distant region of space with no observable stars. The following transmissions were declassified by the scientific community and given to us to present as The Binary Saga. Log entry, Vela 70, Vela Rotat 2695, Cycle 5 of the 7th Annual. Hey hey, CJ. Glad to hear you're having a good time on Veron. It sounds like the ideal place for anyone coming from Hymavina. Given how you described it, I'm surprised to hear that it was the last planet in that system to be occupied. You really had me intrigued at Waterfront City. Is the Alithian system so large that it has a number of planets that all have a breathable atmosphere? I can see why it would have been chosen as an ideal place to settle. I have to wonder if the choice of starting at Alandra was because it was more like how Haimavala Prime was as far as the climate and landscape. Did the Sidistanda change Haimavina into what it is now? That would explain why most of the Alithians weren't as comfortable somewhere like Firon or even back home. Mom had mentioned that she had some communication with Vera and the folks at Haxa about the vessels that were sent with aid and support after the flare. She said that the whole council was concerned about what happened and wanted to make sure that everyone on that end knew that Vela was investigating what could have caused such a disturbance. I know that the aid would have helped a lot to recover some of the regions that were hurt. They have been doing a really good job on their own with the recovery, but I know that they would have welcomed the extra help. A small fleet was dispatched under council orders to investigate the area where the Haxacraft were having issues, but so far on the trip there, everything seems normal. No weird signals and no anomalies were detected. This has actually caused a bit of concern in the council. You may recall that incident with the fight on the Arassi on my way home, with the anti-Hymovina sentiment? Well, it's not as localized as I thought, and it's become much more apparent in the last few rotats, even up to the council level. There are some members that are overly concerned about the Alithian vessels in the region that appear to be armed for some sort of conflict. Some on the council are concerned that the offer of aid may be considered a false flag operation that was meant to show a gesture of support but was pulled at the last minute to see if the flare could weaken Vela's defenses. Mom fought fiercely to ensure that the intention of the mission was to be peaceful and that Haimavina has never shown anything but kindness and trust. Unfortunately, it only created more division among members who correspond with Haimavina and have first web knowledge of the apparent intentions and those who believe that the Alithians have sent warships to back up the planetary defense force Haimavina had in place. They are claiming that it's hard to trust someone when they have weapons that could be aimed at you. It's so weird, CJ. When I left for the extended mission to Tekor Havala, everything seemed fine, and we were all getting along, but now it's like there are three new points of view that are spreading across Vela, and it's like the sects all over again. There are those who worship the ancients in some sort of cult-like mentality, the people who cooperate and correspond with Haimavina and work towards a better understanding of our shared culture, and then those who think that we could be invaded at any moment and are outright fearful of the Alithians. Here I am floating above it all, unsure what to think. You have shared so much about the Alithian system that I can see both sides. I don't believe that Haimavina has any ill intention towards Vela, but given how you've described people like Raythea on Alandra, I can see how there may be some concern. Because of this sentiment that has been floating around the council and various regions that they represent, the VSA has been ordered to start modifying existing craft and even designing and building new craft that add additional offensive and defensive measures. I shouldn't even be telling you any of this, and could probably get into a lot of trouble, but I'm concerned that Haimavina's vision of Vela could be tainted by some of these modifications. We've always operated as peaceful allies, and I would hate to see that view damaged by false perception. 
It's so strange to be on vessels that I've worked on for most of my life and seeing them modified in such a way. Simple scientific craft are now getting additional armaments and tweaks to the magsail technology that would be used like it was with the flare as a defensive countermeasure. I've also been working even more with the SI labs to incorporate new navigational maneuvers that could be worked into a training program to teach pilots how to handle combat situations. Thankfully, that's not all that has been occupying my time. There are a number of new algorithms that are being incorporated to compensate for stellar movement and new changes being made to the CS line. This should help to enhance the capability of the computers using what they have learned from the CS2 systems. A new system was written to allow the SI to split off tasks to a subsystem to calculate navigational data, while a different subsystem would maintain ship operations and so forth. The primary SI would be in charge of maintaining all of the various child processes that are running and spin up new ones on demand if one is getting oversaturated. The new system is being tested in-house by multiple different teams to ensure that nothing like what happened on the CS2 could happen again. The added bonus of all this work is that I get to spend more time with Aaron. If you remember, she is one of the lead developers on the SI team and is insanely smart. I'm not even smart enough to begin to describe how smart she is. She grew up in Laar and after her initial classes, she went on to study at the Gisto Academy of Signal Sciences. She even attended a few conferences that Mama Amai gave before her retirement. Erin studied systems intelligence and even designed her first programs while she was still a teenager. The VSA SI lab hired her and her work has been integrated into all of the VSA systems for Rotats now. She recorded her own voice for the SI as a prototype mostly because she couldn't find anyone else at the time to do it, and it became the default. New voices have since been added, but hers is the most widely used. A few annuals ago, she decided to pray a little prank on me, and she tweaked the SI loaded into my hand terminal, which, when connected to my home system, modified that as well. The tweak in question rewrote the SI to have her voice be the only option she then modified the behavioral systems to be more, how to phrase this, flirty. I had no idea how to turn it off, and it was very strange to come home and ask for the lights to be turned on and get the reply, anything for you, sweetie. I would get strange looks from people in public when my terminal would ring with a, sweetie, you have a call coming in from your mommy. Should I answer it for you? It wasn't in a normal tone of voice like the rest of the SI either. When I asked her to fix it, she just giggled and said, no problem, and then changed it to a male voice, but left the personality in place. The next cycle, I brought it back to her and she couldn't stop laughing. She said that she promised to fix it, but it would take some time to rewrite it and that she would need my terminal for the whole time. When I asked how I would know when it was done, she said that I would just have to hang around with her until it was finished. Shortly after that, there was a knock on the door. When I opened it, there was a delivery of carryout. We sat in her office and ate and chatted while she set my terminal back to default, which actually only took about five subtides. And that's how we ended up on our first date. As payback for that fun little prank, I told her that I got to plan the second date. Knowing that she was not a fan of big crowds of people, I arranged for a nice quiet picnic dinner with just the two of us. I blindfolded her and escorted her out to where I had set the table up. It just so happened to be out on the Yana. Just before I removed her blindfold, I deactivated the skiff's stabilizers so that we could feel the rocking of the waves. This would be where I learned that Aaron has never been on a skiff before, and the transition from stabilized to natural motion on a skiff can be very jarring to someone who isn't prepared for it. Thankfully, the dinner I had prepared wasn't out on the table, and most of the surfaces on skiffs are easy to clean up after an uh, accident. 
I know that I shouldn't have been laughing the whole time she was getting sick, but I did feel a little bit vindicated. Once she started to feel better, she laughed about it with me and we enjoyed a nice dinner together. Of course, that was after the stabilizers were turned back on. Mom decided to throw me a bit of a surprise party for my fourth day. In the past, being 40 rotats old used to be much more of a big deal as it was considered the middle of our average lifespan. With the advent of the Vlet, so many Velens now live to see nearly double that, especially if the Vlet was administered early in their life, or the parents received it before a child was born. So now, turning 40 is still considered to be rather young. I say this to someone from a race that still survives through multiple of our generations, but for Vela, it's a huge improvement. Mom knew that on my fourth day, I like to go out sailing by myself. It's just sort of a thing that I've been doing for a while now. I don't mention it to anyone since it's kind of my me time. When I got home, the passcode on my flat wasn't working, so I checked my terminal and found a message to come over to Mom's place. A ping on my terminal notified me that one of the council vehicles was arriving to pick me up. Inside was a fresh change of clothes, since mine smelled of seawater, and a note from Aaron that said, Sorry, she made me do it, and when Madame Ori tells you to do something, you do it. I pulled these clothes from your closet so that you can at least have a fresh change of clothes. When I got to Mom's place, it was way too quiet. Normally, I can hear her blasting music from the transit stream. I walked in, and nearly everyone was crammed into the front room, all waiting for me to arrive. Most of them looked happy, but a little terrified, and almost all of them pointed at Mom, indicating that this was all her doing. Mom looked pleased as can be, and laughed about it while giving me a huge hug. We all broke out various drinks and had a blast the whole evening. Joru came up and apologized to me and said, I told you, she scares me. Aaron grabbed me mid-evening, pulling me aside to give me a hug and said that she was glad I got her note. Apparently, Mom had put her up to the lockout on my flat. Introducing those two may kill me one of these days. It was bad enough that my mother was super smart with systems, but having my girlfriend be nearly the same is dangerous. After the party was done, the council vehicle took Aaron and I back home and Aaron unlocked the door for me. We started to go through the motions of saying our goodnights when I pulled her in close and told her how much I appreciated that she braved a party full of people to do something nice for my mom and I. She smiled and looked up at me with her bright green eyes and said that she would do it again if it made me happy. We kissed and she turned to leave, but I held onto her hand and took her inside instead. It was a good fourth day. <clears throat> The next day, we continued the celebration. Aaron, Javi, and I all took a shuttle over to Laar and visited a little-known nightclub called Kultur. It's kind of hidden in downtown Laar, but it's a Haimavina-themed place. We thought it would be appropriate for the festivities. They serve a few different versions of Bjor and Vin, all made with Velen-equivalent ingredients, so I'm not sure if they taste the same as what you have there. I asked the bartenders about the recipes, and they all said that it was a guarded secret to make sure that people come back if they liked it. The club had a Sadis cover band that night, which seemed perfect for our celebration. Honestly, they were pretty good. The singer, Miriam, was spot on for most of Frida's songs, and Javi and I should know since we kind of know the original. Most of what they performed was older stuff. I'm actually kind of glad they didn't perform Breathe because I think I would have broken down flooding, which is not a good impression to give a new girlfriend. Javi was excited that Eternal was on the set list, though. We both had a few giggles when they mispronounced a few of the Haimavinian words in the song. We each held the feelstone and raised glasses of Ven and toasted you in celebration of your own fourth day. Speaking of Javi, some interesting news came in a few annuals ago. Joru and Sona have decided to participate in a mating ceremony and have asked our beloved Javi to be the surrogate for their child. He was incredibly honored to do so, and it's scheduled to happen sometime in the next annual. Joru mentioned that they had thought about asking me, but because of the restrictions and my situation, it would have been difficult. 
I told her that it was great that they thought of me for it and that I would have done it in an instant if circumstances were different. I know that mom has been working with the council to overturn various rulings that were deemed unfair. You may remember that due to the circumstances of my birth being conceived in a unauthorized mating ceremony, my birth mother and I were both prohibited from participating in any official ceremonies for the rest of our lives. The majority of this punishment was levied more on her than me thanks to my adoptive mother, Ori, influencing the council's decision. I am still, at this time, barred from having children. Honestly, I think I have finally come to terms with the whole thing. I don't even think about it unless someone brings it up, and at that point, it's just there. My situation shouldn't prohibit others from enjoying their lives and moving forward with their own schools. I'm actually quite happy for Joru, Sona, and Javi, because now I get to be the cool uncle and shower that kid with everything they could ever want. Ooh, that reminds me. I need to find some child-sized spacesuits. It sounds like Bjorn's daughters may want to hook up with some Velen counterparts. If you want, I can put them in touch with some of my old sailing team. Many of them were interested in the correspondence program, but never signed up. You think the sisters might like to chat with some strapping skiff racers? I think they would be curious to start talking with people in the Elithian system, but as far as I know, there isn't anything set up for messages to go out there outside from what you and I do. Hey, there's a new business venture for you. Setting up the first Velon Viron correspondence program. I would say that you could include Alondra, but it sounds like they wouldn't want to interact with a literal backwater planet. <laughs> because Vela's mostly water. Let that one sink in a bit. You'll eventually find it's funny. I'm not sure what to say about your plot to get back at House Lind for the attack on you. I understand the sentiment behind it, but has anyone actually confronted them on why they targeted you? I mean... You know that it was because of some politics that your houses were working on, but does that really justify murdering people and kidnapping someone just because they didn't get a bill pushed through the same coma? I know I don't understand the politics there nearly as much as you do, but that seems very petty of them. I would think that the political movements that you're doing towards them would be more in line with a justified revenge. If it's a business decision to do one thing, like block a bill from being passed, a business decision should be the retaliation, like what you're planning. Thankfully, I have stayed far away from all of the political maneuvering here on Vela. I could see that if someone wanted to go after my mom in a vindictive way, that I would be a target for them. But here, that sort of attack is usually done more directly due to the consequences for anyone who breaks the law. Mom has experienced a wide variety of threats, from messages sent directly to her terminal to the veiled type of threats coming through her office like strangely worded notes that ended up on her desk. The standard practice is to report it to ReefGuard and let them handle it, which they do rather quickly. You mentioned that losing a house status is a fate worse than death, but here, if someone is caught breaking the law, they lose everything. Their individual status, lineage, financial status, everything. Look what happened to my own birth mother. She was banished from everything she knew in life and sent back to Chonar where, from what I have heard, had lived in poverty, attempting to atone for what she had done. My mom was able to protect me from what my birth parents did only because I was so young at the time. But as I mentioned, the ramifications of that incident still hang over my head. You were joking that Andy may no longer be allowed on Haimavina anymore. Please let him know that he can come to Vela and enjoy what real sailing life is like. There's a skiff almost identical to the Yana that we can purchase for him, and the interior cabins on the new models are more than large enough to live in now. Back when I originally purchased my skiff, so much room was taken up by instruments and engines that it made the living quarters too cramped. Through modernization and a number of refits, the Yana has actually become quite livable. He can come and be an ambassador and open up the Vela branch of House Lord Perfect. May the waves guide us. Jason, 40. Log entry, Haimavina 71. 
2375, Age of Enlightenment. Hey, Jason. Well, I'm back on Haimavina. <sighs> it's good to be home. When I woke up in my apartment at the Organson Estate on the first morning back, I almost forgot where I was because I woke up from the most vivid dream. I was back in Tolina, walking on the waterfront with a peppermint cafe in my hand as kids played and people queued for caramel apples on the stand by Pier 4. And then a voice said, Happy to be home. And I opened my eyes to find Andy, fully dressed, sitting on my bed next to me with takeout cups of Peppermint Cafe that he picked up as a surprise for me. And he grinned, Hey, sleepy. Happy to be home. <laughs> it was so weird. It must be related to interstellar travel because I've had the craziest dreams since I've been back. Did you feel that way coming back from your CS2 recovery mission? Like you forgot where you were when you woke up because you've been gone for so long? Okay, first off, um, did you forget to attach pictures of Aaron? You can't tell me about this amazing girlfriend and not send pictures. That's criminal. And I know, because I'm an advocate. <laughs> Heather was convinced that Dr. Cola was going to ask you out once you got back to Vela, since you won't be her commander. Mari still thinks Jury is going to change her mind and confess her love for you. I told him that you needed to be with someone who loves spaceflight and science as much as you, and they would have to understand and accept the risks that come with your line of work, much like Helgi and Juniper. So I told him that Aaron was the strongest contender, and I was right, because I'm always right. <laughs> so, melt the ice. I want all the dirty details. You have listened to me go on for years about Andy. I'm so excited to have the tables turned because I love all of this romance. You told me about your first dates, the hilarious practical jokes, and how she's already bonding with your mom. But I want to know how you feel when she's around. Do your scales change color when she looks at you? Do you think about her when she's not around? Is she a good kisser? How was the morning after? <laughs> As you know, truth always comes out in the mornings. Erin <laughs> sounds great. I'm really happy for you. Speaking of happy news, it is wonderful that Joro and Sona are going to be parents. I love that Javi is going to be the surrogate. That's so exciting. Please congratulate them for me. And of course, I need many pictures. And if the newborn cries, you know, the Kai is the baby whisperer. I'm sure he will happily sing lullabies via video messages. We talked about your situation a lot when we were younger, and I understand the council's concern about population control, but it seems to me like your parents were being punished for being in love. I still think it's incredibly beautiful, though, because you were a result of that love, not some sanctioned ceremony. And that makes you special. Even if you don't remember that, I'll just keep reminding you. <laughs> and you will be an incredible uncle, not to just Juro, Sono, and Hobby's baby, but to mine in several decades from now. <laughs> so the VSA is just now arming their vessels? I mean, honestly, I kind of thought they always have been armed. As I understood it, planetary defense before it was merged with the fleet was created out of fear that the armed internal conflicts on Vela could spread to Haimavina. The Samcoma felt at the time that if the sex could hurt each other, they might also harm us. That might sound irrational considering the distance between our planets, but that was before our time. And I can see how the revelation of the existence of the Alithians could lead the Council to be extra cautious, even if it doesn't make sense to you and me. Maybe you and I should be the peace ambassadors for the Mana and the Velens. As far as the VSA's decision is concerned, I think it's a safe assumption that the fleet already knows. But don't worry about me saying anything. I have my own political and business dramas to worry about here. Speaking of drama, the House Summit happened last spring, but it still feels like it happened days ago. It's important to understand that the House Summits on Haimavina are mostly informal, and they usually end up with most of us drunk on Olga Yalin's yacht. However, the Alithians still very much honor all the formalities. The summit is strictly off-limits to anyone who isn't a titled house member. 
but my dad said I could at least give you the highlights because you are family and well, I've been dying to tell you what happened. <laughs> the house summit was held in the house chamber at the Samcoma on Alondra. In truly ancient times on Haimavala Prime, family tribes would congregate at the Stofnes Den, which is just a big stone in a field. During the Siddhasanda, the ancients brought the stone to Alondra and enshrined it in a tiered chamber decorated with house banners, ancient weaponry, and a large circular table in the center of the space built around the stone. Heads of house sit at the table, and their scions directly behind them. Other titled house members, including spouses, house jarls, and heir parents, sit in the gallery. Prior to the official start, most of the heads of houses and the scions were scattered around the table, chatting and mingling. My dad, Bjorn, Janine, and I quietly confirmed with our teams back at our home corporate offices as we readied for the final push to buy House Lind. I made contact with Andy, who was talking to Helgi and Iria, and he signed to me, good luck. And I just winked at him. Eventually, as people made their way to their seats, Raythea grabbed my arm and said, After today, I hope you see Bjorn for what he is, my dear. I forced a smile as she made her way to her seat. My dad whispered to Bjorn, and they laughed and bumped fists. And then we all took our seats. Octavia, the head of House Hughesby, was chosen arbiter for this summit, stood and opened the meeting by thanking everyone for attending the official House Summit. This was followed by scripted instructions and the signing of the letter. This book is the only true record of attendance, and it must be signed in blood. Each house member pricks their finger and presses a fingerprint next to their signature. And it's hard to describe the feeling of seeing House Jorgensen and House Fjallstedt on the first page of the book. Octavia welcomed the return of the Heimavina houses and asked each head of house to anoint the stone. Iria, unsurprisingly, went first. She used a new spark dagger to cut her hand, which she closed into a fist and let some blood drop on the stone. Helgi whispered to me, Are we marrying the stone? <laughs> I tried not to laugh. One by one, each head of house did the same. Finally, my dad stepped forward and unsheathed the Jorgensen great sword, which he carefully used to cut his hand. You probably remember the rumors I told you about the sword but I didn't realize how well-known it was until I heard people gasping audibly in the gallery. Theatrics aside, my dad looked really cool cutting his hand with our ancestral sword. After that, the meeting progressed through standard business and discussions and uh, more rituals. I kept secretly checking with my team, and our plan was moving smoothly. During one of the breaks, Helgi cornered me and my aunt Thora, and he said, you both said that these were drunken meetings. I don't think I'm going to be able to get through this sober. <laughs> we both chuckled, and when Thora let him know that Daya Yalin had a flask, he promptly went to find her. <laughs> Janine came over to tell me that her media team was maintaining the news embargo, and word of our coordinated buyout wasn't out yet. My team sent a message saying that they were in the final push, and I signed to my dad that we were good. Just before lunch, Octavia called for new business and Raythea practically jumped out of her seat. I looked at Andy, whose face was a mask of confusion, and Raythea said, I call for a formal accusation against House Laurelin for the attempted kidnapping of Scion Cecella Jorgensen Newspark. Helgi whispered to me, House Laurelin? Doesn't she mean House Lind? A visibly shocked Bjorn demanded formal proof. With a smile, Raythea nodded to Octavia, and the large screen in front of the chamber began displaying messages about my kidnapping. I had seen the same messages, but these looked incomplete. The gallery erupted, and I looked over at Andy, who was trying to whisper into his mom's ear, but she kept brushing him off. My hand terminal vibrated, and I saw a message indicating that the trading had been halted. How Slynn's staff had finally spotted the attack. Octavia had called my dad and Bjorn for a quick sidebar conversation. When they were done, Octavia made everyone settle down. She asked Raythea if she was sure she wanted to continue with her accusation. Raythea glared at Bjorn and said, Why can't you just go back to the cold rock you came from? 
And then she said she had already given the information to the Alondran authorities, and they were waiting outside. At that point, Janine stood up and said all of the things she ever wanted to say to Raythea. Raythea looked like she had been slapped. And then everyone started talking again. And I used this distraction to message my grandfather, Mikel, in the gallery. He said the trading was still halted, but we were almost there. I noticed Bella, head of house Lynn, frantically typing on her hand terminal. And then she looked directly at me. And it was clear that she knew exactly what was happening. Octavia cleared the information provided by Raythea, and the screens now displayed the complete messages uncovered by the House Laura Lynn investigators. The new evidence clearly showed that Bella Lynn was behind the attack against me because she was angry about losing a huge ECAL contract and blamed me personally for screwing her house over. <laughs> like you said, petty indeed. The gallery was silent. But it was Raythea who looked the most shocked because she's friends with Bella and it was clear that she had no idea. Andy came unglued at his mom and the two of them started yelling rapidly in a laundron slang. My dad started yelling at Raythea too, which got the gallery shouting. And I checked my hand terminal and the trading was still halted. Over the noise, Bella called out. What do you say, little Cicella? Shall we settle this? Ancient Champa by way of martial test. You backwards Heimavinen still use the bogey and arrow, right? If I win, charges against my house will be dropped, and you stop touching my house assets. Jason, it was so quiet, you could hear snowfall. My dad turned to me and asked, Are you ready for this? And I nodded and agreed. I heard my mom call out from the gallery, No! Iria, Helgi, and the rest of the Heimavinen started muttering about how we don't do things like this. And I didn't know how to explain it to all of them. So I called out, speaking in Velen. I have to. I'm settling this now. Octavia asked for Bella and I to come to the middle of the room. And then Octavia asked who would stand as second for Bella. Her daughter, who was a scion of House Lynn, stood and walked over to her mother. When Octavia asked for mine... Janine immediately called out, I'll stand with the shield maiden. And Janine walked over and stood beside me and grabbed my hand and said, I got you, sister. Our seconds were instructed to grab weapons and set up the large targets at the end of the room. As Bella and I got in position, I looked up into the gallery and I saw Heather and Kai smiling at me, giving me a thumbs up. Bella asked for a couple test shots and made both in the center of the target. I purposely missed mine. There was a smattering of nervous laughter around the room. Octavia asked for silence, and everyone watched as Bella made four arrows in the center of the target. I looked over to Iria, who taught me how to shoot, and she winked at me. And I put five arrows in quick succession in the center of the target. And everyone erupted in applause. In the commotion, Bella pulled out a dagger and lunged towards me. Jason, I knew it was going to happen before she did it. Because during our planning, Bjorn had told me, once she realizes she's losing her house, she's going to call for an ancient shoppa, and she will fight dirty. As she came in, I caught her wrist, and I punched her in the side. She rolled from my grapple, and punched me in my left cheek. I ducked her other swing, and punched her in the face, and with my left hand, I rammed my right elbow into her stomach. I stepped into her, I grabbed her arm, and I twisted it savagely around her back. And then I stomped on her knee with all of my weight, and I heard it crunch. She cried out and dropped to the ground. And with her arm pinned back, I grabbed the dagger from her hand, and I held it to her throat. I made eye contact with Octavia, and I called out the ancient rite. By house rules and rites... I can take your blood. Bella Lind, what say you? Octavia asked her if she surrendered, and Bella muttered, Just do it. Jason, in that moment, I remembered how troubled and disappointed in me you were when I told you that I was happy that my attackers were dead. And here, I was facing my real attacker, and this time I got to choose her fate. 
I let Bella slump to the ground, and I stepped back, and Janine handed me the Jorgensen sword. And when I unsheathed it, the sound echoed all over the chamber. I walked around Bella, and I plunged the sword into the ground right next to her face. And then I turned to Octavia and called out, As champion, I request that Bella serve her sentence on Haimavina. And Octavia looked at me, stunned. She nodded her head and asked if anyone seconded. And everyone started muttering. But then all of the Haimavina head of houses and scions stood. And Iria spoke loudly. Haimavinans do not condone capital punishment under any circumstance, no matter the crime. Andy, who is adamantly against capital punishment, stood and smiled at me and gave me a V over his heart. And Bjorn winked at me and then stood. And then nearly half of the Lithian heads of houses followed his lead. Octavia gave Bjorn the option to call a formal accusation against House Vinstrasse for being falsely accused. I knew he wanted to, but he shook his head and he wouldn't even look at Raythea. The authorities escorted Bella away, and everything became a blur. Janine was the first to grab me in a hug, and then my dad was next, and he barely let go of me to pass me to Andy, who picked me up. My mom, Kai, and the rest of my family jumped from the gallery seating to join in. And when Raythea tried to join our group, my dad just yelled at her. I have never seen my dad so mad. She ended up leaving the house chamber with Reese. The summit was pretty much over after that. I heard someone say that the authorities were taking Bjorn out, and Andy looked at me and said, Go! I grabbed Janine's hand and we ran to catch up with them at the shuttle platform. Janine screamed at the officers, but I told them that I was an advocate of the court and I displayed my credentials. They told me that Raytheus' complaint obligated them to take him in for questioning. I asked if we could have a moment and Janine hugged her dad as he stood there with the authorities. I told him that I would take care of it, and he nodded at me and kissed Janine on the forehead, and the officers walked him back to the shuttle. Janine collapsed on me in tears. The following day, my dad, Janine, and I met Bjorn when he was being released. Outside the gate, he joked that he needed another hour to finish the card game with some other inmates. My dad and Janine both gave him hugs, And when he got to me, he just held my chin and moved my face to examine the bruise on my cheek. And he said, I told her she was left-handed, my sweet. And I just laughed, which hurt. And I hugged him anyway. In the shuttle, Bjorn looked at all of us and asked, Please tell me there was some good news that came out of this mess. And we all smiled, and my dad told him that House Lind was ours. Everyone else was waiting on the House Laurelind flagship, and we celebrated our success on the way back to Viron. The party continued at my parents' vacation home, where we talked about what happened at nausea, which is why my recollection is so vivid. Bella is currently serving a long sentence on Haimavina. During the trial, it was discovered that she did not order my witnesses to be killed. That must have been a snap decision on the attackers. But we did find out that she was also behind Rob Selvig's kidnapping. House Selvig was impressed that we took down House Lind without any casualties. I've even heard from Rob himself, who thanked me for giving him some closure on his own kidnapping. All the houses agree that if another business or political disagreement arises, violence is not the answer, as there has been enough bloodshed throughout the centuries, and it all needed to end. We shall see, but it's a step. We've been really busy since the takeover, and I won't go into the boring details, but it was well worth it. We lost some good former House Lind employees, but it didn't take long for morale to improve once people realized they had competent management and fair compensation packages. I still can't believe we pulled it off. (laughs) When the House Summit was over, we decided it was time to focus on something good. And Andy and I do not need a huge wedding ceremony. We just want to be with the people we love. So we will be getting married this coming spring on the lawn here at the Jorgensen Estate, under the stars. It will be simple, but we'll still have plenty of traditional rituals. Do you think the new drive will be ready by then? 
Raythea did end up apologizing to me. And truth be told, Jayzoon, I didn't know what I was going to say to her when she stopped by our flat. She apologized for not realizing that she had incorrect information and felt sick about what happened between me and Bella. She told me she did not want her past with Bjorn to affect our relationship because she loves me like her own daughter. And I hugged her, and I told her that I missed her and that I love her too. But Andy just rolled his eyes and said, That wasn't really an apology, Mom. <laughs> I could tell that Raythea was getting upset and mentioned that she had spoken to my parents. Andy told her that she needed to apologize to Bjorn too. And she said that she would never be able to do that, but she would at least be cordial with him. In light of this, Bjorn told us he would not be attending our wedding. Of course, Andy and I both were disappointed because we really wanted him there, as he is family too. But he told us his presence may cause Raythea to make a scene, and that would take the focus away from our day. I know he's probably right, but I'm still upset because now two of the most important people in my life won't be attending my wedding. Unless you're planning a surprise visit, because that would be excellent. <laughs> as far as the stag party, well, I guess we'll just have to risk the Stromheim curse, as we decided we were going to do a bar crawl around Old Town. Kai says we need to start hydrating. <laughs> I'll talk to you soon. Love always. CJ, age 41. Log entry, Vela 71, Vela Rotat 2696, cycle 10 of the 8th Annual. Hey, hey, CJ. Wow, a lot has happened in the years since you last messaged. There's a lot to unpack in your transmission. But I have one question for you that's really important. What is a yacht? I'm joking with you, of course. I've known that translation for quite a while. You missed out on a party aboard a luxury skiff so you could attend a crazy ancient ceremony on a different planet that almost got you killed. CJ, I think it may be time to rethink some social gathering decisions. I bet you are missing the gala events with all the dancing and drinking now. Though, I bet even those are going to seem boring now compared to what you just went through. It's funny that you mentioned having dreams about long space flights. Flying through space has become such a regular occurrence for me that I've had a number of different reoccurring dreams. When I was out on the trip to Tekor Havala, I would sometimes wake up thinking that I was out on the Yana drifting along and feeling the waves hitting the side of the skiff. Turns out it was just the slow thrum of the magsail emanating from the walls of my cabin. After being on board for a while, I could even begin to feel the slight fluctuations in our trajectory, like the changes in motion of the water. Sometimes I would wake up with a jolt if the pilot on duty altered course, even a little, because it would just feel different. There are also times when I'm home and I can't sleep because I can no longer feel the craft beneath me. Sometimes I do sleep, but I dream about still being back working the terminals or staring out of the stars. When those happen, I wake up feeling a little lost. It's usually pretty disorienting too because I'll still try to walk out of the room in my flat and bump into everything because I think I'm still on the Arasi. I've had a few bruised legs because of this. Once I'm home for a while, it tends to die down, but for the first annual or so, it's very confusing. As for you, Miss Cecilia Jorgensen, asking me to tell you all of the dirty details of my dating life? That sort of thing is private. Kidding. I already tell you everything. First, let me apologize for not sending some photos. I guess I got caught up in the moment with the early stages of things with Aaron that I kind of forgot. You forgive me, right? Having a long-term relationship with anyone is still fairly new to me. The longest relationship I've ever had was, well, I guess with you. I'm attaching some photos that I took while we were at the party that mom threw for me, as well as some from out at the marina. As much as I've tried, I haven't been able to get her back out of the Yana again. She claims that she is not entirely against going out again, but she has to work up to it. She has incredible green eyes that match the coloring of my scales, and she likes to joke that it means she only has eyes for me, and that's why she didn't pay attention to other people before I came along. But I'm pretty sure she's just making fun of the romantic in me. I was impressed by the effort, though, 
coming from someone whose ideal first date was huddling around a terminal and eating takeout. We have since been out quite a few times, as much as she can tolerate. We even went back out to visit Javi's dad on the farm, and Aaron received a solid Geary approval. So much so that one of the evenings while we were there, we were just heading back after a nice evening out, and I heard the two of them giggling while walking up to the house. When I looked back, they just laughed even more. Javi, Joru, and Soma all send their heyheys. Joru is actually at the creche facility now, awaiting the giving forth ceremony. Before you ask, the only people involved in the mating ceremony were the three of them. The ceremonies have become much more private and secluded in the last 50 rotats. So while there's still some concern about population on Vela, the ceremonies do not involve as many witnesses as they did before. This has the added benefit of making them much more personal and intimate. Their ceremony was four annuals ago, and from what I heard, was lovely. Javi was emotional afterwards and wouldn't stop hugging everyone he ran into. Which, now that I think about it, is actually pretty normal for Javi. They are expecting to welcome their new addition in the next three annuals. I will happily send along photos when the big day happens. After hearing about all of the traditions that are still being held out on Alandra, I'm really fascinated with the history of your people. I assume that the large stone, the Safna Sten, I think you called it, was brought from Haimavina? I mean, Haimavala, I guess, before everything went crazy and people left. If so, it would have been so amazingly old. The history behind it is incredible. I could really imagine the hall that it was in. I don't suppose you were allowed to take any photos of the room and the banners. I'm sure that the Haimavina Historical Society that has sprung up here on Vela would love to see it and document its existence. The HHS started as a way to learn more about your world and its cultures, but really grew after the discovery of the Crimson Sun. They have been very helpful in cataloging all of the more personal effects that were found and packaged up for return to your people. They still have working members on Fenora poring over anything they can still find. Some of the members are even actively searching around Vela to see if they can find any traces of any other items that may have been sent here from the ancients. I think if I were to tell them about the rituals that happened, they might attempt to dissect my brain just to get at the information faster. Uh, don't worry, I have no plans on telling them anything. They already approached me about three times in a newel just to see if I've learned anything new from my Vina colleagues. I usually just ignore any calls from them or smile and move when they approach me outside. I had no idea that the older traditions were quite so... bloody. Blood signatures in a book? Cuts and blood presses on the stone? Did they have a medical professional nearby to deal with all the bandages that you may need? I can only guess what that stone must look like after generations of handprints pressed against it. Do they still follow those sorts of traditions on Haimavina? I always got the feeling that your meetings and professional events were much more modern and less painful. When it comes to Rathia and her actions, again, I don't even know what to say. It's like each transmission that you send exposes another layer to her personality, and the layers never stop. Maybe somewhere deep down, underneath, everything that she has experienced in her life, there's something good. Unfortunately, right now, it seems like you still have a few more depths to dive before you can really see that. More importantly, I think she needs to dive down and see it herself. Sometimes when a person experiences so many horrible things, the bad can start to become normal and they forget what it's like to be good. I can't pretend to know what has happened to her along the path to where she is now, but I think that just by knowing someone like you and the good things that you have done in your life, maybe it could help her see that not everything is quite so bad. It's a shame that you didn't have some way to record what Janine said to Rathia during all of that commotion. I think I could have used some new Haimavinan or Ilithian swear words to add to my vocabulary. I like to use some of them just to throw off people, since they're not quite as common or taught in any of the language classes. I assume that there were a lot of them, and they were very colorful. Please let me know if there's any in particular that I might not have heard of. So, a shield maiden, master fighter in defensive arts, and a galaxy class bogey expert. Are there any other special fighting skills that I should know about? Did you secretly learn to use a Velenhana as well? 
Don't ask me for lessons on one. Aside from swinging one around in a store, I can't really use one. I'm amazed that Bella would stoop to such a blatant attack in a public venue like the Summit. With so many people there, and with you having just won the Kampa, how did she think that it was a good idea to attempt to murder you right then and there? I'm so glad you were okay and that you were smart enough to prepare for such an outcome. From how vividly you described the fight, it sounds like you managed to keep your head above water the whole time. I think I would have shed all of my scales in about a millitide. Have you ever seen a villain with no scales? Trust me, it is not a good look. Add on to all of that, you actually spared her life, and you did it because of me. I'm so incredibly proud of you. Our two worlds are constantly learning from each other in ways that are larger than just the two of us. To hear that Auntie Iria actually quoted the words spoken by the Haimavina Samkoma so many rotats ago about capital punishment. I wish so much that I could share that with Mom and the Council, and really anyone that questions the morality and attitude of Haimavina. I think it would go a long ways towards improving the potentially degrading perceptions that we are experiencing right now. I hope that there is some way for Vera or even Iria herself to express what happened in some of the more formal correspondence. For now, just know that I, personally, have a newfound respect and admiration for what you did. As if I could like you any more, you go and do something so noble. Much like your mentor, Bjorn, I'm sorry to say that I will be unable to make it to your wedding. While we are much closer to getting the CS line of craft ready for a real test of significant distance, there are far too many concerns that are being worked through. While technically we do have a line of magsail craft that could make the trip, right now it would take almost three rotats to get there. I am not even sure if the council and the Sankoma have sorted out any sort of visitation. Given the antics associated with my name and any vessel going to or from Haimavina, I doubt that I would be able to arrange a trip in the immediate future. If you let me know the exact time that it will be taking place, I will make sure that I gather Mom, Javi, and Aaron where we can all hold the fieldstone and be with you the only way we can. There is hope in the upcoming several rotats that the next version, the CS3, will be running. They plan to do another initiation of the same test the CS2 did, with significant upgrades to the SI and better shielding for any potential outside interference. If all goes well, then it's looking to be a finalized version that may actually make the jump to see your planet. Cross your thumbs for a good test. While I doubt it will be ready in time for your dual stag party, there is some more good news on our end. The Lakula R is almost ready to be open to the public. This would be the station that I talked about before that would house a full recreation facility and hotel for your average Velen to venture up into space and enjoy the whole experience. There will be shops and lounge areas scattered throughout the station, as well as a full section near the center of the facility to experience microgravity. We expect the grand announcement in the next few annuals, but they are already staffing it up in preparation. They actually had to do a few rotations of the staff for the station, as the first few that went up spent too much time just admiring the place. It actually delayed the opening because people were so enthralled with being up there that they couldn't focus on their jobs. While it may not be as exciting as a house summit or Kampa, we did have a little bit of an adventure here about two annuals ago. Do you remember the vessels that were in a rotating orbit between here and Feynora? The first were the Essa-1 and the Essa-2 that were bringing people and supplies out to the crash site and subsequent research facility there. Since then, they have rolled out a number of new craft to take the place of the old ones. The Essa-3 and Essa-4 were based on a new model with a magsail engine integrated into them for faster rotations. Both of these have been running on constant rotation for the last eight rotats. A problem came up with the Essa-4 when it was on approach to Vela, and the onboard systems discovered a slight deviation in the orbital re-entry path. The call came out to have an experienced pilot take a shuttle out to the craft to recalculate the plot for a proper orbital slingshot around Vela. These new pilots are so used to just pushing buttons that when something goes awry, they tend to panic and get confused. I shouldn't be surprised. The flights to and from Feynora have become so routine that the pilots that get assigned to them now 
are almost entry level. The problem comes with the time delay on communication between here and the craft as it comes in. We can push out potential fixes, but by the time they get there, a new variation happens and another fix has to go out. The easiest thing for us to do is to just send someone there. So I volunteered for the assignment. This was actually a perfect opportunity since the SI on the SF4 was a little outdated and needed an update for a well-trained SI engineer to join the mission. Normally the updates would happen on the close end of the orbital pass, but with the mission being approved and a flight already scheduled, the VSA thought it would be a good chance to get some flight experience for the SI techs. Since I was named the mission commander, I got to make suggestions and requests for the volunteer. I'm sure you wouldn't need to be a rocket engineer or a house scion to guess whose name I submitted. Erin had never been into space, so I thought it was a great chance for her to see more of my perspective on Vela and space travel in general. We have always joked about her visiting one of the stations or even going up in one of the short-range shuttles just to see the planet from above. But when I signed up for this mission, I thought it would be great to share it with her. Well, you remember how sick she got aboard the Yana? The initial launch of the shuttles was fine since we took a slow flight up, but as soon as we broke into orbit, it got a little bad. It turns out that the transition from Velen's standard gravity to microgravity is just about as nauseating as the waves moving the skiff. Thankfully, we were prepared for this with both anti-nausea pills and a good supply of air sickness receptacles. Once we were well on our way to rendezvous, she started to feel much better and actually enjoyed herself. Watching her stare out at Vela below us, especially as we engaged the magsail and flew further away, was incredible. Her eyes lit up with all of the wonder and amazement that we all get that first time up. As we were underway and she could move around under the forced gravity, she adapted well and we had a few cycles to prepare the updates and plan out how to get the SF4 back under control. It took roughly five cycles to reach them and dock with the transorbital craft. We were still pretty far from Vela, so we had lots of time to get to work. Once we arrived, we split up and I headed to the command section while she went down to the computer core. I spent a few quarter tides wrestling with the controls to get the craft back on the right trajectory, all while running diagnostics to find out why the drift started to happen in the first place. The first thing I noticed that it was pulling to the left and down when trying to initiate maneuvers. I wasn't surprised that they hadn't detected it, with a craft this size and the plotted paths being on a stellar level. But having flown this kind of vessel with no real computer controls before, I could tell. I had the engineers check the attitude thrusters on that side, and sure enough, there was a small glitch in one of them. It was still within the acceptable tolerance of the detection system, but only barely. They sent a repair crew to fix it, and the next cycle, everything felt normal again. Most of the crew were in awe that I was able to just feel what was wrong without the computer advising. Aaron gathered up all of the information and had already started working on a new detection algorithm to incorporate into the system. When we were finished, we decided to stay in some of the crew quarters for the remainder of the trip back home. I had to fend off some of the crew as they kept asking questions of both of us, me for piloting tips and her for work on the SI. Aaron would jokingly reply with an SI impression of, your request could not be processed at this time. Please try again later. When we were back, close enough to Vela, we reboarded the shuttle and took a slow trip back home. Transitioning back into the atmosphere went much better for her, and when we landed, she told me that as much as she enjoyed the trip and what I was able to show her, she was hoping to avoid going back up for a while, at least until her stomach settled. She talked nonstop for the next few cycles about all the things she experienced and seeing the vastness of space, so I don't think it will be that hard to convince her to go back. Maybe even make a long-distance trip. May the waves guide us. Jason, 41. You've been listening to an episode of The Binary Saga. The part of CJ is played by Vanessa Shannon Anderson. The part of Jason is played by Steve Petrocelli. Music by Eric Matias and soundimage.org. Thank you to our Patreon members, Samantha and Rob and Mary Carnahan. 
If you like what we're doing, please consider visiting our Patreon page, which can be found in the Where to Find Us menu on our website. We have multiple levels of support, with lots of fun and special features like transcripts and photos. Or if you just want to donate to our Bjor and Sidrus funds, it's always appreciated. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook with at the Binary Saga. Want to ask us questions? You can join us on Discord for general chat. Find all of these links and more information at BinarySaga.com. You can read the print version for the entire first and second season in Kindle or paperback on Amazon. Print versions include a number of extra stories and background information. Just search for the Binary Saga.